going to pause and I'll take a few verses more and um, then we'll get in. Father, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear what you would like to instruct us with this morning from your holy scriptures, your word inspired by the Holy Spirit. May my words, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians 1, beginning at verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from a hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, but just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understand God's grace. You learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told, of us, told us of your love in the Spirit. Uh, the first part that Paul begins to do is he said, I'm thanking God for you always. And then he goes into uh, prayer for them. For this cause or for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to remember that this book, uh, letter that Paul is writing, was written by Paul uh, to them from prison, when he was in prison in Rome. This is one of the last letters that he had written, describing what he wanted to tell them and what he was doing. If you look down in uh, chapter 4, go to the very last book of, the, of this letter, this uh, book, in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. So Paul brings it back to that issue. I'm in prison. Please remember the chains that I have and pray for me. He had already written to a number of churches. One was Corinth. He had written to Corinth prior to this time and is in those days. And I'm sure that um, these letters were passed around from church to church from small group, small church gatherings of believers, when these letters began to, to go out as Paul is, is spreading the good news of the gospel, bringing instruction, bringing greater truth to the believers, and they're growing. And Colossians, he said, the, God's, the gospel has grown in you, and you're becoming fruitful. This is a good thing. But I'm sure it's been passed down. But I want you to go to the book of 2 Corinthians. That's just a few pages back towards the front of your Bible just a few pages, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul 
his writing, his second letter to this church at Corinth. And he comes to a point in his letter where he said, I need to, I need to tell you about me. And I don't normally do that. He said, I don't normally defend myself. I don't have any need to do that. But I feel I, I need to put it out there what I have gone through. And if you go down to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you can begin at verse uh, 24. Verse 24. Um, well, let's go back to 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. He said, I don't even know why I'm writing this. Are they servants? Yes, I am too. So I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. I'm down to verse 24 now. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a whole day and a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't, I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the, of the things that show my weakness. It's worth going on and on about what he said he went through. But as I'm studying this passage of Scripture, I'm saying that, that Paul is writing from prison again. This is the time. He said, I've been in prison many times. So as he's writing this, he's suffered for Christ. Everybody sort of knows this. But he says, I want to write to you. He said, I'm praying for you. I have thanksgiving for you. I'm, I'm, I'm interceding for you. And we read about his thanks for them and then also his prayer for them. You know, when you get into the matter of prayer, it is almost a, a two-winged thing of prayer. One is thanks and the other is prayer. You give thanks and then you give requests. You give great praise to God and then you ask for what God has for you. That dual thing about what happens there when you're together doing that. So when Paul's writing them, he said, I'm so thankful for you. Go back up in verse 3. Uh, because we've heard, I always thank God when I pray for you because I've heard of three things, your faith in Christ, the fact that you love everyone, I, I mean all the people you love, and you have the hope in heaven. You see, he looks at what has happened in their lives and their lives have been changed. And I could refer, because all of us have been like this, back in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, he said, you were lost, you were without hope, and you were without God prior to Christ. That was who you are, same as the others. And so he's writing to this church, you have been lost, but now you're found. And I'm so happy, and I'm joyful, and I give thanks to God that you have gotten it. You, you're saved, you understand. But one day you were without hope and without God, but now you've come. Thanksgiving, that's the beginning of their prayer. 
The other evening, Friday, um, some of us came, and I'm sorry I didn't broadcast or um, announce it many weeks earlier, but I didn't know that it was happening. But Friday, we watched a, an event by Voice of the Martyrs, and it was uh, Hearts of Fire. And they interviewed some people within that video, uh, four ladies who had experienced a lot of difficulty. Uh, one was imprisoned. One was held captive in the Philippines for over a year when her husband was killed and she was released. And, um, and one that was uh, arrested, a singer, a Christian singer in Eurythia, which is in East Africa. And she told this story. And this is what I want to say about the beginning of prayer of Thanksgiving. Her name is Helen. Uh, I, I wrote it down, their name, so I wouldn't forget it. Helen Bernhan, B-E-R-H-A-N-E, Bernhan. She was arrested because she was a Christian. And along with many others in this Muslim country, they were imprisoned. And she tells this part of the imprisonment. They were put into shipping containers. And in East Africa, it would get sweltering, sweltering, hot during the day and cold at night. And they were there without ventilation, without much food. They were uh, in, in this, this container. And uh, she's telling that as they're in there, all these ladies are there. And they gathered in the middle because the, the side walls were so hot, they couldn't touch it. They gathered in the middle and they said, what are we going to do? And she knew the word of God. And now here's an important part, people. We must know the word of God. We must live in the word so we know what to do when the trials come. And she said, I know what we need to do. Let's give thanks to God. Now, what are you going to give thanks for? And so she began to pray. Let's give thanks. And Lord, we thank you for that toilet in the corner. We thank you for the maggots that are on the floor. We thank you for the awful smell that we have. Lord, we just give you thanks because we're alive and we can worship you. And then he began to, to pray and he began to worship God. And she said they began to thank God for everything and they gave praise to God. Later she says they pulled her out and said, How, where's that Bible? We hear you in there. Where's the Bible you have? She said, I don't have a Bible. She said, yes, you do. She said, no, I don't. I don't have a Bible here. Where are you getting in it? Well, it's coming out of my, my head. I memorized this. And what did they do? They beat her head. They beat her body. They tortured her for Christ. And she is now released from Libya. She went to the Sudan, she and a daughter that she had, and they ended up in England, and now they're in the United States. For their faith, what did they do? And I'm thinking of Paul, and I'm thinking of the Colossians people. They're hearing these words, I thank you, thank God for you, but here they are, they're where they, Paul is in prison. And they're referring back to, Paul, you, you've been beaten for your, our, the faith, the gospel. And she said how God just began to minister to her. You know, prayer is really important, and, and I want to talk to you about prayer. Paul's prayer for them. He gave thanks to God, and then in verse 9, he begins to say, and I continually pray for you. He's going to show them how he is praying for them. And we can read this passage, and it's all good, and let's all feel good because we read it. But there's another thing to enter into 
the backdrop of a man who's writing them out of his experience, out of what he needed, what he found, because Paul was one who was beaten and sang hymns in a prison. And the prison doors were open, and he got victory and was relieved, rele uh, released. And that's wonderful. You say, well, that's a wonderful story, but what about you? What about me? What are we going to do with this type of prayer? I'm, I'm going to try to do two things, and I know I can't because I'm going to use two words that are opposite one of another. I want to elevate your understanding of prayer. I want to lift your understanding of talking to God and how you pray heavenward. I want to elevate that. But at the same time, I want to take you deep. I want to take you to the foundation of what is the most important thing to build your life on. And those two uh, might be the same, but how do you lift and how do you dig? I'm not sure how we're going to do that. But I do want to lift your eyes. I do want to lift our hearts to this. You see, Paul says, I am I'm praying for you. Look at, at verse 9 when he starts. He said, he talked about Epaphras in verse 9. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. That's an interesting phrase, for this reason. Well, anytime you see for this reason, you've got to go back and see what the reason was. For this, what? This reason. What's the reason? He said, you're my family. Look at verse 1, verse 1. He said, chapter 1, verse 1, he said, you're my brothers and sisters. You're family to me. You're people I love. You're the people that, that uh, I call family. And I'm writing to you. And then he gets to, down to verse 4. And he said, I'm, for this reason, what do I know about you? You know God. You have faith in Christ. You're believers. And then he said, verse 6, he said, you're bearing fruit of this. They were experiencing the gospel in their everyday life. The seed of the word of God was springing up in them, and they were producing fruit. So when Paul says, for this cause, I'm wondering what about the previous paragraph would have anything to do with now praying this way for them? I don't know if you are looking at like I'm seeing it now. He said, this reason, I'm focusing on this. I want you to notice what is not written here. Look at down verse 9. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through wisdom, understanding, livable life, worthy, so forth, strength and endurance, all those things. Notice what he isn't praying for. Now, P Peter will write to those who are scattered throughout Asia. Peter's going to say, you're in trouble. You're being persecuted. I'm praying for you. But here, Paul is not focusing on the trial. He's not focusing on their persecution. He's not focusing on the danger. But he said, I need to address a spiritual matter that is going to rise above the fray to focus on God's will and the living of a life worthy of God. Now, I don't want to offend anyone, and please understand this. I am not going to do this, but I'm going to say some things that you might get offended by, but I don't mean to, okay, because I believe that God hears every one of our prayers. I know that God answers prayer. He said, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. Draw near to God, and I'll draw near to you. Let your requests be made known unto God with thanksgiving and so forth. But sometimes we pray for things that are so mundane 
that it really doesn't address the issues. Now, please understand, I am not against asking God for directions when I feel like I'm lost on a, in a street. I mean, I can drive into a gas station. Where do you find so-and-so? But I pray, God, help me find where I need to be. Lord, I need a parking space in front of the grocery store because i got to rush in again. God answers those kind of prayers, doesn't he, for you? He does for me. Our kids go through issues. One of them's trying to sell it. Lord, I pray their house gets sold. Those things are important in my life and in yours. We pray for things. I remember our kids uh, would call us, uh, grandkids would, but also their own children, and we did the same when we were growing up. Oh, no, would you pray for my math test tomorrow? I haven't studied for it at all, but could you please pray for me? Now, I don't think God says, oh, can't pray. I can't answer that prayer because you didn't study. Now, I know God gives us help and causes us. Re- okay, you, you, you understand what I'm saying? How mundane can this get? get? I remember, and I've told this story before because it's such a great story. It's a true story. Up in the upper chapel, we're having church one Sunday, and uh, it was, um, you know, just having church. And there was a little child that was, was sort of messing around, and the father kept saying, sit still, sit still, sit still, until the child was going far too long. And, it's, of course, it's a smaller room, and sort of everybody's aware of it. But anyway, dad picked up the child, put him over his shoulder, and as he's leaving the upper chapel up there, this ch- kid hollers back into the room, pray for me. <laughs> now, now <laughs> I don't know what to do with that prayer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he knew enough that this could be in trouble, but the, the issue was caused by his behavior, Okay. How many times have you get, gotten caught and you ask God, please get me out of this mess? And I don't know if my father got it. I know my natural father said, hey, did you do it? Well, yeah. Okay, you're going to suffer the consequences. And I think my heavenly father does that at times. He said, hey, listen, I will be with you, but you need to learn something in the midst of this prayer. In the midst of this time, it is not just that... Uh, just." Pr- we need to pray first. We know that. But we need to pray according to his will, according to his word. We need to ask God, God, what do you have for me? What don't you have? How can I do this? Without any hesitation, I, I need to say, we should pray first, pray about everything. But this prayer that Paul is writing stuck out to me in the sense that he isn't writing to them, and sure, it has to be a short letter, but he isn't saying, oh, by the way, listen, I've been in prison many times, and now I'm in prison again. By the way, uh, just pray that your food won't come with maggots in it, which often, or that food would come. He doesn't tell them about how to, uh, I, oh, I know, I know that uh, Brother Eli over there is trying to get a new job there in Colossae. Let's pray that he gets a job. All that, listen, am I... Backing this thing up enough, that's an important prayer. But what I'm getting at, when Paul had the opportunity by the Holy Spirit to write anything about prayer and his prayer for them, it doesn't include that kind of thing. He says to them, he, it, well, just look at some of the words. He said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gets to the root of all things, that higher and deeper thing, get higher in God and get the, look at verse, uh, we'll go down to see the words. Um, let's go to verse 10. 
He said, I'm praying for you in verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. He said, you got a life to live and that you can live worthy of the Lord. We'll talk about that. He said, you can please him bearing fruit in every good work. Live a fruitful life. You can just put underline those if you like. Worthy, fruit-bearing, growing in the knowledge of God. You can put growth in there, growing in God's knowledge. Being strengthened, understanding the strength of God according to his glorious might. You can have great endurance. That's a great word in there, patience. And you can go down to uh, verse 12. And the inheritance of his holy people, because you've been delivered, rescued, and you're brought into the kingdom, transferred into the kingdom. So all those words are, are, are good words, but they're words that, that come under the issue of this is how I'm praying for you. Please note that this wasn't a one-time prayer. It wasn't, how many times have I done this, and you probably as well. You write a card to somebody and said, uh, during your, this time, you're going, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm praying for you. And you are. You're really praying. And, and I, and I want to say, I've said this before as well, but I want to re- repeat it because I've heard it so often, even recently. I felt your prayers. I felt your prayers. I felt this, the, the lifting up of God in my trial, in my sorrow, in my uh, dilemma that I, I felt you, God lifting me up and I know it was your prayers. That's an important part of our prayers. And it wasn't one time. We write the card, lick the stamp. We don't lick anymore. We stick the stamp on, try to lick the envelope. That's not taste good. But we mail off the card. Send them an email, send a text. And then forget about it. I'm not faulting all of this because we all do it. But Paul said these words. He said, I am continually, I have not stopped praying for you. And I'm continually asking God for you. You can hear Paul's heart over them. And again, please understand, they're not imprisoned. He is. But he's writing to them and said, listen, I am praying for you. And I would like to believe that he's praying for them in preparation of the, of the persecution that did come to the church throughout the years following the resurrection. When the, the, the punishment was going on, Christians were being burned at the stake. They were being uh, imprisoned. Paul went out to imprison people. So he said, this has got to be a prayer. I'm praying for you now. No matter where you think you are, faith, love, hope, all those, that's wonderful. But I'm continually praying for a further depth on this thing that you might be filled. He said, number one, be filled with the knowledge of his will. You got to know God's will. He said, I want you to know the will of God. Not only to know it, but be filled with it, the will of God, the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, if you notice the word that the Spirit gives, he is, again, drawing upon the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He says, and we've talked much about this as well, 
when Jesus left, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to empower to live for me. He's going to give you all the authority that you need. He's going to give you all the wisdom. He's going to instruct you in how you are to live. The Holy Spirit is, will abide in you, and if you abide in him, uh, he'll abide in you, and you're going to walk with the Lord, and you're going to know his will. It's the prayer. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. The will of God. I don't think that most of us think in terms of that, those words. Not always. What are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about God. Go this, this, this. Are you thinking about the will of God? Did I start my day? Did you start your day with, Father, I want to do your will today? What is it that you would have me do? I would desire to do what you want me to do. I want to know how to do that. And where am I going to get it? I'm going to get it through the knowledge, the wisdom, and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives me. So what I'm saying here is as we pray, we need to have the wisdom of God coming by our walk with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead me. I want to know God's will for this circumstance and this situation. And, not, and, he, and he's praying that they would be a possessor of that will, that you might be filled continually, I ask God, fill him with the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, this is not a secret thing. This is not a secret mystery that's not open to all of us. This is for all of us. It was for them. It wasn't some secret uh, thing that you walk with God long enough, you're going to get it. No, this every day. This is for us right now, the will of God. What am I doing? How can I be walk with that? The Holy Spirit will teach us. Now, if you go back in Paul's writings, you can go back to 2 Corinthians again, but go to chapter 1, not chapter 11, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and he's going to write uh, up to another church, and he talks about this matter of going through things and, and standing. And he says to them, Let's go back to verse 8, 2 Corinthians 1.8. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despised of life or despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. We've, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from the, such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships or relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity, we have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. He said, how did we do this? How did we walk through all that we had? We didn't rely upon worldly wisdom. We got God's grace. We got God's will. We got his wisdom in us. We're not taught to look out to anywhere else but ourselves. Be yourself. You can figure it out. Do it all on your own. 
And some of us are very capable to do a lot of things on our own. We're allowed to think things through. We have some wisdom. We have some talents. We can do all that. But does it get us where God wants us to be? I can't get anything in terms of the spiritual plan and purpose of God in my life with my own wisdom, and neither can you. So when Paul writes, he said, I'm praying that you're going to be filled with God's wisdom. He said, we know what worldly wisdom is about. We know how smart we think we can be. We know how we can operate in a world that's topsy and turvy. He said, but we don't rely upon that. We come to God and his grace in his life. And what is he addressing? He's addressing our tendency to slip back into our New York City mentality. I did it my way. I did it my way. I can do this on my own. And you can't. He's writing to believers here too. This is not writing to the ungodly, the unsaved. He said, you're believers, but I gotta tell you, I am praying that you are gonna walk in the wisdom of God. You can, you can do this. You, it's, it's moving towards what God has in his grace. And here are the Colossians. They're hearing, hearing this. Now, again, I, I just envisioned what would we do if we had a, a pastor or leader and uh, we were maybe just meeting here and, and our leader, our pastor, the guy who taught us all things about God is in prison. Says maybe he's, he's down in Alabama or someplace in prison. He's getting beaten every day for his faith. And he sends us a letter, and we're told to read the letter. And we're envisioning this man, and we're hearing, and what, he, what is he saying to us? And you're on the edge of your seat. What is he saying? He said, I want you to be filled up continually with the knowledge of God's will through the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit. Because why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. You know, that's part of God's will for my life. That I would please him. That my life would be a worthy life, worthy to follow him, to be like him. My walk, it'd be a worthy walk. My behavior in all life gives me the temptation, the persecution, the pain in my life to do that. And the word worthy here is a very interesting word. It means to be weighed as much as the other thing weighs. Now, I look up that in the, in the definition in Greek, and I go, oh, that made sense to me. Weigh as much as the other thing weighs. How do I apply that? Another definition helps it, though. That the example... You, the example, need to be like the pattern or just like the example that it started with. It's that being pressed into the image of the one it came from. So to walk worthy and to be like that, the understanding was you're going to come out looking like what the original is. So if I'm going to walk in the original, I have to look at Jesus and how he lived, and therefore I now live in such a way that I'm looking like Jesus. I'm walking in his way, that I'm understanding he is the example to be like him. 1 Peter chapter 2, let me give you a verse from the book of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, it says in chapter 2 verse 21, he says... Um, 
To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. In his steps. Follow after him. Live a life worthy of him. I wish all of you could have seen one of the other ladies from the event on Friday, Anita Smith is her name. Her husband was shot and killed in Benghazi, Libya in 2013, just 10 years ago. He and, he and his wife, young couple, wanted to live their lives for Jesus. And they felt the call of God to go to Libya. And he taught in an international school, taught chemistry, I believe, or math, one of those, in the international school. And they had a two-year-old. And this young couple were living in the neighborhoods, learning Arabic. They loved the people. They, all they wanted to do was show the love of Jesus where they were. And he would teach in the school and, and have a relationship with the students and the teachers. And she would talk with the ladies and got very good friends with their neighborhood where they were. And, of course, Benghazi, as all of us can remember, not so many years ago, was a very, very dangerous place to live. But they didn't have any fear of that. They said, Lord, you've called us here, and we're going to show your love everywhere. Her husband, every day after school, would go for a jog and jog through the neighborhood, and often they would have somebody with them because they said, don't ever go out by yourself. And they said, whatever you do, don't go over in that neighborhood. Stay here within the confines of our neighborhood, and uh, you'll be fine. Well, one day he went off by, well, let me back this up. It's getting towards December, and uh, they were going to go home to visit family in America. She and her young son went to America. He was, had a, a couple of exams to teach out, and then he was going to go um, to back home for Christmas, for the holidays. So he was alone. And he had a test that morning that got done about, normally school let out 3, 3.30. He got out at earlier, maybe 10.30. And he said, I'll, I'll go for a jog. Very unusual time for him to do that. So no one was tracking him. But one of the eyewitnesses said, <coughs> excuse me, he said, uh, a black car came up very slowly behind him and followed them along, if I remember the story properly. And talked to him because the guy said they stopped and had words, but nothing happened, and the car went away, and he rounded the corner. And the car returns down that street and comes around, and they hear gunshots, and he was killed. He was killed that day in Libya. His wife, Anita Smith, hears the word, the the. The, their neighbor, the Libyan neighbor across the street called and said, I don't want to tell you this, but your husband was just shot and killed. She and her two-year-old were there at the parents' house awaiting Christmas. And the interviewer said, what were you feeling? What are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to forgive them. All that Jesus did for me when he died on the cross for my sin, when God's love was poured out, that's what I have to tell them, and I need to walk in forgiveness. You can go back probably and find some news reports about it. They showed Anderson Cooper on his show back in 2013 interviewing her. But within the first three or four days, she, went, she wrote a letter to the Libyan people. She said, I forgive you. All of the, you who shot my husband, 
I forgive you. And I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. That God loves you. And when Jesus died on the cross, he covers all of that and it can accept you and forgive you. It is said that she got on Al Jazeera News, which reaches millions and millions of Arabs and Muslim people. And she said, I forgive you because of what Jesus did. I want you to know that God loves you. And here, 10 years later, they're interviewing. How can you do that? That's all I can do. Why? Because Jesus is our love. He's our heart. He's all that he does. And he forgives me, and he forgives them. And they need to know that Jesus died on the cross for them. That's all they want to do. Could I tell you that that is the fulfillment of what Paul is praying for them? That they would live a life mirroring the Lord Jesus in all of their expressions? We tend to hold on to bitterness and anger for years and years against neighbors and coworkers and bosses and family members. Is that the way? She stood out, and it is only by God's grace that she could do that. It, 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 it startled my heart. It challenged my heart. When I read the scripture, he said, I'm praying you're going to be filled with the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. A life reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do we live for? Who are we living for? Ourselves? We can be a great church. We can have this. We can do all these kind of things. Or are we living to display the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel to those people around us. It's a life reflecting. We're, we're born in the image, reflecting Jesus. And he says, Paul said, listen, I don't care. Now, I'd like to call, ask Paul what he really meant behind here and what his thoughts were, but I see by the Spirit that he is saying, by the Spirit, the things you're going to need to carry you through is that you can know God's will and you know the Lord Jesus because when you know him, you're going to live a life worthy of him. And Paul could say, I have, I have, uh, I'm persuaded that, he, that all that I've given, he can keep to that day. I, I want to do this. Why? Because of what he's done for me. And you could read all about Paul's life, and out of that prison house in Rome, where Epaphras, the guy who told him the gospel was there with him, co-prisoner, he says, I can't stop praying for you. I want you to know. I want you to walk in that. There's so many things that we're going to get to in the next few weeks, but here's my thoughts. Prayer is not trying to make God listen. Prayer is not trying to make God listen, but making ourselves to listen to God. We're not trying to persuade God to do something, but to find out what he wants us to do. Too often we pray, God, may your will be changed, not your will be done. So this morning, can we elevate and see it's a heavenly issue we're talking about? It's eternal issues. 
But I could also, could I also take you down to a deeper understanding that when I pray for the ones that I love, he said I love them. When I pray for them, how do I pray? And this is a model way to pray that they would know the will of God in all wisdom and understanding by the Holy Spirit. I don't know who you pray for. I don't know the people that you love most in your life that you're concerned about, but this is, this is a way to pray deeper for them, to get at the roots of the things, because God, by his Spirit, is going to deal with the deep stuff that I don't see and know. Oh, sure, I know they need to pass the test. I know that they need to protect it. I know they need a house. I know they need all that. That's what I see and know. But God knows what they need way down here and the lessons they're going to learn and the things that are going to bring them through to where they belong, doing the will of God. Worship team, come. Would you stand and just bow your heads with me? Father God, I pray, I pray for this house right here, for every man and woman, every child, everyone, that Father God, that we would understand the beauty and the wonder of your will, and how even as Jesus said, I came to do your will, Father, I came to do that, that we would do that, and we would pray for those that we love, that they would know your will in their lives and that they would walk worthy. Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you guide us into truth. May you have your way in us. Lord, we need love. We need power. We need your will. So Lord, as we conclude this time this morning that we would see your will done in our lives today. 